Can't Knock This is brought to you by Viserys. Univar ES is now Viserys, the pest control distributor making a positive impact on young businesses. Along with the broad product portfolio of top brands, we offer exclusives like the Intucare Mosquito Trap. And with resources like Pro Training, Inventory Manager, and PestWeb, and over 65 locations nationwide, we provide the products and insights to grow your business. Visit go.viserys.com slash knock this to learn more. Hey everybody, this is Sam Taggart with the D2D podcast. And, you know, I've been working on this book, The Achievement Blueprint. Uh, we're changing the name a little bit, but it's, uh, it's a work in progress. So today I'm actually going to go into achievement. You got to have a good team. And, you know, I think a lot of times we get stuck in the solarpreneur or we get stuck in like, hey, I'll just be a sales dude and just keep selling and selling. And um, we don't realize the power leverage. And so today I'm going to be diving into that. Uh, before I go into that, I've got a few awesome announcements. And we've solidified our final keynote speakers for DDDCon. So listen carefully. David Goggins, author of Can't Hurt Me. He has the world record of pull-ups. He's run 200-mile races in the desert. He's one of the only ones to finish the Navy SEALs, the BUDS training, the Ranger training. You know, the guy, he was the SEAL that Jesse Itzler lived with that, you know, he, he just has a phenomenal story. And anybody that follows David Goggins, I mean, it's worth the ticket alone. Like, flat out worth the ticket alone. And then you have John Maxwell. Then we also solidified Brad Lee. He's one of the Lightspeed guys, spoke at 10XCon. He's done a lot of stuff with Grant Cardone and others. Uh, then you have Hal Elrod, uh, and he's the author of Miracle Morning. Uh, and then you have Tim Story, who's a big philanthropist, preacher. Like He spoke all over the world. He also spoke at 10XCon. I mean, the lineup that we have is probably better than any other lineup I've I've ever seen in a any speech, like any event. And, you know, it really is, uh, I, I, man, every year I'm like, how am I going to top the lineup? Like, I can't think of any cooler people to bring. Um, so this year, January 8th and 9th, Salt Lake City, Utah. And don't be alarmed when all of a sudden you see the price of a DDDCon ticket a lot higher than it usually is. It's simply because we are taking this to another level. We are weeding out the people that don't care to invest. I believe that if you really want to transform your life, you got to spend money to make money. I believe it's not until you are the one that actually goes in and says, I have to fork up money for change. And it's not even for me as much as it is for you. I found in the last three years, we've had a lot of people come to DDCon. We've had a lot of people have amazing success after the event. But I think a lot of people come because their managers are the hype or whatever and they don't come for the right reason. I want you to come feel the pain of not performing after if you put substantial money into this. So for us, I was like, I've I've coached and, and consulted and changed a lot of people's lives over the last few years. And I found that money, them putting in their own investment, I believe is step one of transformation. So get your ticket today. We only have 500 seats. I also believe in the intimacy of this event being able to interact a little bit more with the speakers, being able to have a little bit longer workshops. We have 18 workshops. So anyway, go grab your ticket, ddcon.com. So today we're going we're gonna to dive into 
the achievement blueprint again. And, you know, last week we did the workaholic and had a lot of good feedback. So if you haven't listened to that one, go check it out. But the achievement blueprint is very dependent on your ability to follow these laws. And I'm going to talk about the the over-encompassing law of wealth, which is value times leverage. And it comes from this book um, or or test called the Wealth Dynamics Test. And I'd highly recommend going taking that by Roger Hamilton. Um, and I make all of my team take it and you'll figure out your genius. And But before diving into this wealth formula, uh, you got to understand some other formulas, which is speed equals distance times or divided by time. And how far do you want to go in sales, business? Like what are your goals? And really what's the destination? I think a lot of people, they don't understand like, okay, this year my destination is X. Well, it's like, okay, that's the distance. Well, how long did it take you to get there? You know, there's a kid that just did a million dollars in pest control sales in 113 days. And I think it was like 1,400 and some accounts, it's over 600 and some contract value. And the distance he went in the same 113 days um, was way more, I mean, 10 times more than a lot of people would ever do. And he just had a lot of speed. He just did it fast. I mean, everybody could go do 1,400 accounts. It just might take him, you know, five years to do it. So, you know, time is, you know, obviously how long it takes you. And then the next formula is acceleration equals change in velocity divided by time interval. And so it's like, okay, how does how do you, how does one accelerate their success? Like, how long does it take you to go from one speed to another speed in in your in your success? And 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 to achieve, I look at like acceleration as a vital element because you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm doing one a week or I'm doing one a day. How do I go to two? How do I go to three? How do I accelerate that? And so it's this change in velocity. And and once you kind of reach this acceleration, you've got the speed. How do you keep up momentum and keep compounding on that? And that's mass times velocity or mass times speed. And mass is, is, is in my opinion, it's like the weight. It's the, the size of the object. It's the, the wind, you know, aerodynamicness. It's the, you know, and, and, and I think of that like, okay, how does that apply to sales? How does that apply to business? And it's mass is all about the drag and the friction something has. You know, if you have a Formula One car, it's different than a semi driving down the truck, right? In aviation, they use the term thrust a lot. The definition of thrust is to overcome drag. And so you ask yourself, what's putting you into propulsion? And when you don't operate from your, and in my opinion, when you operate from your own genius and understand your dynamic and, and, and how to really leverage your own talents, uh, we're, we eliminate drag. And when we're literally out of alignment, and we're not leveraging tools, people, systems to their full capacity. It's going to slow us down. It's gonna it's gonna change our acceleration and speed, and um, you know our our eventually our, our momentum. It's gonna lose it. It's gonna hit gravity and just get pulled down. Um, so basically, this leads us to the you know the wealth formula, and wealth is the value times leverage, and Leverage, in my opinion, and is when Archimedes says it, you know, you give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum in which to put it, I can move the world. 
And so the problem with salespeople, so if you're a sales dude, maybe you're a top performer, maybe it's this guy that's did a million dollars in pest control. They often fail to leverage uh, their systems, other people to help them sell more deals. They, they feel the whole sales process should fall on their shoulders. They react, uh, they, they reach like this maximum velocity. You know, you ask yourself, okay, maybe somebody could do a million five next year. I don't know. This is a new record. Um, and they perform as high as a rep could in 24 hours. And you can only talk to so many people. Like you could shorten your sales cycle. You could, you know, run faster in, in between houses or, or prospects or whatever. But, you know, you only feel, you only really reach new heights. And I believe, you know, to go from a million dollar producer in pest control to a $2 million producer, you got to start leveraging systems. And maybe it's you have a, a dude shadowing you that says, hey, you go prospect a couple and just kind of weed out some of the negative or go find people that are home and then let me know which ones are home so I can go directly to those homes, you know, whatever that is. And once you reach this maximum velocity, it's like now time to maybe be a manager. It's like maybe you got to start getting more better marketing. I, I, I mean, there's so many things that you could do to break this max, maximum velocity. And I think too many people get fixated on sell more deals. And it might just be grow your team, run a business, X, Y, Z. So business owners get caught in this by spending their time doing $15 an hour tasks and getting caught in the, the little things, even though their time's worth way more than that. They make business cards and they're designing Facebooks and posts and their video edits and running commission reports and they're doing bookkeeping and all of which the team could free you up and spend more time doing things that drive the business. And so I watch, you know, the first thing I look for when I go to business consult somebody is I'm like, okay, map out everything you do in a week. And I found that 20, 30 hours a week, these CEOs end up just doing stupid stuff that gives them no energy. It, it you know, that has to get done. It's important, but it's kind of like, couldn't you have somebody that's getting 15 bucks an hour, go do it. And, you know, I use things like upwork.com, Fiverr to, to outsource some of the micro jobs. I mean, some of you guys don't even realize it, but like this podcast is going to send over to some dude overseas. He's going to clip it up. He's going to post it. He's going to, you know, write the copy for it. There's going to be another guy that, you know, sends it to design and you know what I mean? Like there's a whole team behind the scenes that cost me, you know, under 10 bucks an hour to, to really produce some of this stuff at a fast and, and high quantity um, production. So, you know, no one lives long enough to learn everything they need to learn starting from scratch to be successful we absolutely positively have to find people who have already paid the price to learn the things that we need to learn to achieve our goals it's brian tracy and so talking about picking the right team and you know in the book by jim collins good to great says leaders of great companies first ask who then what and you know we've all heard get the right people on the right seats in the bus and so if you're the bus driver and you're at a standstill, it's because the job, you know, like you, you, you don't have even like a good bus driver <laughs> and you, you got to decide where you're going. A lot of times it's like, okay, we're getting the bus. We're all sitting there and it's like, okay, where do you want to go? It's like, well, I don't know. So you just sit there, you know, or you move way slower. Cause you're like, well, I don't want to get anywhere too far because if we start going this direction, then, uh, what if we pivot and then I got to go backtrack and we wasted a bunch of gas? Like, I don't want to do that. So, you know, most people assume that um, they're really good at, at being the CEO and the leader, but you know, that, that, that's where 
articulating a, a good corporate vision and a good, you know, direction is going to be step one. So, um, basically there's a, a four step model that they talk about in the book by good to great. And it's first get the right people on the bus, then get the right people in the right seats, get the wrong people off the bus and put who before what. And I think, I think a lot of people are afraid to get the wrong people off the bus, especially in sales organizations. I watch salespeople be such cancer to an organization. They, they literally are like sabotaging a culture, even though they might be performing. They're sitting there talking smack on the leaders. They're not aligned with the vision. They're not going in the direction everybody wants to go. And it's, it's just slowing the bus down. It's kind of like a dude like sitting there holding freaking rocks on the tires, like or whatever would slow this down. So having the right people on the bus – you know, it's just, we can, you know, that's the relationship that like, like oftentimes we, we, we get a, emotional because it's our brother or our, like sister's cousin or something that's maybe that cancer. And we're really afraid to, to lead them in fear of what if it hurts the relationship. And so I found that when I work for organizations, the best thing to do is white, like whitewash the people not from like firing, but go to a whiteboard, whitewash the people, meaning if there were nobody in your company, let's draw out the hierarchy and the, the job functions and the roles and the responsibilities of each box that I would love to fill. Then I'll take my roster and be like, oh, cool. Yeah, this person does can do this and this person should have this. And a lot of times you have to give them a new job description. You have to be like, okay, here is a job description, even of being a sales rep. A sales rep, they start at two, they end at eight. A sales rep, they... Um, you know, they knock a hundred doors a day. Like that's the definition of the job function. Can you, or can you not do that? And if you don't do that, are you open to the consequences? And if you do do that, here's the reward system. Here's our standards. And really you just understand who's the right fit for the job. You know, you got to be able to hire slow and fire fast. You got to be able to have the balls to be like, I'm committed to our company more than I'm committed to anybody. And because I'm looking out for the success of everybody and I got jobs to, to keep and not go out of business because I'm an idiot, you know? So it leads me to kind of that solopreneur versus entrepreneur. You know, I, I, my father-in-law is a doctor and, you know, I, it's interesting because he makes great money. He's the best in Utah. And, um, but it's, if he doesn't show up to surgery, he doesn't get paid, you know, and it's kind of the hamster wheel versus the oil wheel. You have this hamster wheel where you're kind of the solar entrepreneur. And I look at every sales dude as in 1099, that's a solopreneur because they're by themselves doing accounts. And it's like, you become an entrepreneur, in my opinion, when you look at your team as an organization, because you're however many people you can recruit and how well you can get them to sell is really a dictation of how well you run your little organization, maybe within an organization. But until you start to learn that you can leverage, you know, you're never really going to make real man money. And you're never, you're the oil well is something that Regardless whether you're sitting there doing it or not doing it, it's still pumping out oil. You know, I it's it's interesting. There's this there's a speakers during COVID. One of my close friends, Ty, he uh, you know, he speaks a hundred times a year and COVID hits. And I'm like, oh, and literally nobody's throwing events. And it's like if he doesn't show up to speak, he didn't get paid. And he took a massive financial cut. You know, Dan Clark spoke at my very first DDD con and, you know, I watched him kind of getting older and he was like this, he, he's always talking about his highlight reels and now he's speaking in front of, you know, the military and the presidents and 
doing, you know, Speaker Hall of Fame. I mean, the guy was very well known. And I'm like, but his message maybe isn't as relevant today because he just isn't a current, he just isn't current, you know, but he's a phenomenal speaker, has amazing talent, so much experience, and everybody would love him. But I watch as he kind of tries to find his identity, but I'm like, what's the business he built? Where's the oil well? Where's the, where's the element of the residual business, you know, leverage instead of getting stuck in the leverage is me. And, you know, I wanted to build something that lasted like my whole speaking circuits, like cool, but you know, I have a residual income with the the university. I have, you know, people that work for me, I have experts that train and, and they go out and speak. And, um, you know, so for me, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm building an organization, not just the, the Sam show. And, you know, now we have 30 employees and we have like six verticals and we have, you know, so, so ask yourself as a business owner and a leader, like, am I on a hamster wheel? <laughs> Cause eventually it's going to get very tiring. And Rockefeller said, I'd rather earn 1% off a hundred people's effort than a hundred percent off my own effort. Remember that that's like John D Rockefeller. I'm assuming he's got a few good pieces of advice. Second thing is influence, right? So now you've got leverage, but you also have to have influence. And there's influence of others, influenced by others, and to be influenced. So like we must influence, we must be influenced, and we must have um, others influence, like like mentors, spotters, and things like that. So, so I remember I was at the gym, and... I was jumping and uh, doing like those jumps, squat jumps, because I'm trying to train how to dunk, right? And I'm I'm like down and back on the on the astroturf, and I'm like six yards, maybe six feet from the end, and I stop, and this dude that's just ripped, like he's just you could tell he'd be in the gym for like six hours a day. He uh, points at me. He's got his headphones in. He doesn't say anything. He points to the end of the mat, and he's like, "You only got like two more jumps." You know, you could just tell, like, with the way that he looked at me, the way that he pointed, I put my head down, and I go, you're right. Dang. <laughs> and I think a lot of times we're, we don't have that in our lives. We don't have that spotter that looks at us and says, why are, you, why are you only jumping halfway? Why are you only working a half a day? Why are you only, why are you just, like, selling one a day? Like, you're an idiot. Like, and or we don't allow somebody to give us that feedback. So I looked and I jumped and I finished my workout, you know, and it, and it was a big moment for me physically because I was like, oh, man, where else do I show up and cut out short in my life? And nobody cares and nobody's watching because I obviously have an OK body. And what's an extra six feet like that's going to change like my entire health system. Like what? But we make those excuses all day. It's like we got to have good coaches. I, I was watching ESPN and. I see Tiger Woods with a chipping coach and it's like, you know, the announcer's like, well, you know, we got a Tiger Woods over here working on his sand game. And I was like, what the freak? Like Tiger Woods, one of the best golfers ever. Like, why would he pay somebody to chip like that? that like, like what? He probably better chipper than the coach, but it's all about perspective. It's all about somebody, you know, spending energy, helping you see your deficiencies holding you to a better version of yourself. We just spent this entire weekend here in Idaho with Coach Burt, a coach. And he spoke at DDDCon. He speaks on some big stages. And we hired him to come to our mastermind event. We run this 
expert circle. It's, it's a high level CEO kind of by invite only mastermind. And, you know, we're there with 20 CEOs and some cool players. And it was really fun to watch him coach. And he says, I believe everybody in life needs a coach. I believe a good coach can change your life. I believe a good coach can take you to a place you didn't even know you could go. And he talks about just his experiences with coaching. And I'm like, well, I could say the same thing because I, I don't ever, I never really called myself a coach. It was never my goal to be a coach, but it's what I do, I guess, for a job now. And, you know, the the end product, the hard part is people struggle at investing. And that's why we're up in the ticket to DDD con is I'm like, that's, that's a coaching situation. It's a learning situation. And if people can't put a price tag to an unquantifiable um, thing because they're like, how, how do I consider investing into, you know, education, coaching, learning when it's all unquantifiable? It's like, well, what's the outcome? I go, I don't know. It's whatever you make it out to be. But the question is, if you don't do it, then what's the outcome? And we, we end up just literally putting our head down, doing the same thing, which is insanity. If we don't spend time in our personal development, then we don't develop. We get similar results and we think hard work is going to get us farther. But I've accelerated business. I've doubled and tripled my company every year because I've been able to get coached. I mean, same thing with my sales. I didn't go from three to 400 accounts without a coach. I literally paid a guy $30,000 to coach me while I was selling. Um, And I don't look at a manager as a good coach. Like I really don't. Like your sales manager the problem is, is you don't even give them permission to coach you honestly because you're threatening to leave to some other company. You're threatening and they're sitting there coddling you in this industry. It's kind of a bunch of babies, to be honest. You know, a good coach is going to people help people find their voice. It's going to help package that voice and distribute that voice. Coaching help you stop the crazy mind chatter in your head that tells you all the time that you're not good enough. Through coaching, I support my clients through shifts, through the transformation, and I stand for their greatness and brilliance and their power. And I think that so many people don't stand for that for you because you never asked them to, you never paid them to, and you don't take it as serious as you need to be. And so, you know, I had a a client that literally flew out to Utah. First off, I'm speaking, North Carolina, at a roofing convention. He walks up to me with a wad of cash after my speech and he slaps it on my, my chest. It was in an envelope. I had no idea, but it was thick. <laughs> I was like, what's this? He's like, that's your deposit. I was like, well, how much is it? He's like, I hope it's enough. I was like, you don't even know how much I charge. I wasn't even like selling anything. <laughs> he's like, I know, but I need you to coach me. I was like, what? And I was like, okay. So he's like, can I come to you and see what see what the program would look like or if we can make something happen? And here's this Southern doll. And, and I was like, what? I was like, Obviously, that's what I do. I, I consult, but it was just nobody would walk. Nobody's walked up to me, literally smacked me with a wad of cash, a fat wad in an envelope. And I was like, well, that was a cool day, you know. And but obviously saw in my two hour workshop, like this dude knows his stuff. This guy could literally change my company. So he's like, I'll fly to you. So he flies from North Carolina to Utah just to have a lunch with me, just to see if he could pay me to consult his company because he says, I'm in a crossroads right now. I am literally either going to shut down the business and just be a sales rep again because I've done 8 million a year for the last 10 years, which 8 million is a great roofing company. But when you make no profit and you've been spinning your wheels for 10 years and you're still broke, that's not a fun situation to be in. And he's like, man, I was making more money as a sales rep. And there's a lot of business owners and leaders that are in that situation. And so sales reps, 
you know, that are sitting there like, oh, I want to run a business. It's like, yeah, just because you have a bigger margin maybe doesn't mean you make more money because you have to deal with all the overhead and the people and the payroll and this and this and this. And he was feeling that. And he's like, the other option is I double down and I freaking figure this out and I start making real man money. And I was like, well, which one do you want? He's like, well, the second one. I was like, well, how much, how much is that worth to you? And he's like, well, a lot. And I was like, okay, this is my fee. And he's like, well, that's very minimal in comparison to what it's worth for me. So let's do this. And I was like, if you say so, okay. If you're committed, I'll make it happen. And literally this year, they're on track to do 20 million bucks. And I was like, that's a literally life-changing year. I mean, with the same overhead, if not less, because we, we, we helped him optimize a lot of profit. And we just said, here, here you go. Here's the blueprint. A good coach, a good mentor. And that, that literally five times his income. And I just, I've, I've got a hundred stories like that. I got rep stories from sales. Guys. I mean, it's just like, I didn't believe in it. Like, cause I, until I freaking paid coaches and saw what it did to me, like, and now I'm like an advocate. Um, so here's, here's something interesting. The last thing I'm going to say on that is, is control. I think a lot of people in Jonathan's world is being the owner. You know, it's hard to let go of control and take the hit of like, I have a coach. It's like, people don't even want to admit that sometimes. They're like, like, how are you doing so good? You know, oh, it's just, you know, it's just me. And first off, it's like, give some grace to God and say, thank you so much for putting me in this possession of success. And then two, it's like, acknowledge the people above you that are mentoring and coaching you because I guarantee freaking to you behind the scenes, there's somebody. Um, so like be okay that you don't have to be in control of everything and realize that there's other people on a team that can help you. And so be okay with delegating. So know how to properly communicate your vision and project manage things all the way to fruition. Don't manage people, manage systems. I did a great podcast on that a while ago with Jeff Mendez. You know, yourself needs to be a boss for you and stay strict on the right track. Eliminate the, the need to think, you know, automate things. So you know, if you can automate things and use text, apps, notifications, reminders, calendars, and these can all play part of your team. You got to think of them as like team members. It's a constant with zero emotion. My alarm clock went off at 5 a.m. or 4.58 this morning. And that's a constant. It's like, I don't have to like wonder, is my alarm going to like wake me up? No, if I had to wonder on my emotion, is my emotion going to like want to get up at five this morning? Probably not. It's a Saturday. So, so the the fact is it's like my alarm clock was the system that was my boss that i just can like i just say okay i'm gonna comply i'm gonna do what my alarm says you know and you know there's a no snooze alarm in, in your life in your business and you can't fight the systems you put in place to hold you accountable to success team diversity so don't hire salespeople that do do all your jobs don't like you know, they're project managers and their finance and their collections. It's like just hire salespeople that do their job. Try to force your way to think, you know, don't try to force your way of thinking and expectations of financial work and success on your team. I think a lot of times we, you know, I look at some of my team and a lot of employees now and I'm like, why aren't they driven to make a half million dollars? Like, why don't they want to make a million dollars? Like, and I just think that that's like should be everybody's perception of life and, and and just realize that some people they have a great idea of making x and they that, that to them is super successful and that to them is their goal and it's like a lot of times we end up 
I don't know, putting like our own wants on other people's wants. It's really about navigating visions and aligning them and making sure that people align with the visions. If not, then you get them out of your organization. And it's like, don't train the team members to be every violinist and the trombone player and the drummer. Just train them to be the violinist and see things from a lead chair violinist. You just got to be conductor, orchestrator, composer and say, okay, violinist, if I were to be you in your violin shoes, what? how do you see this whole band playing and where do you need to fit in instead of trying to teach everybody everybody's freaking role? So let's talk about team numbers and size. I think that, you know, the size of a team is, is always a question I ask. Like how big is too big of a team? How big, how small is too big, small of a team? And there's actually been a lot of studies and, you know, use cases of this. And so I'm going to combine a lot of online research and kind of my like learning and study just from organizing and managing and consulting hundreds of teams. And anyway, so the first one is you got to really understand the whole principle of it has to do with your company size, the age, how many deals you're doing a month, the leadership's capacity. I think that every leadership has a team size capacity based on their EQ. And you have what's called the Ringelman effect which is basically diminishing effort as size grows. And so, you know, this guy in like the Wartman management, um, he was like a professor at Wartman. And he, he, makes, um, he makes this understanding the Ringelman effect super easy because he basically said, okay, we're going we're gonna to study, you know, a rope pull, like a tug of war kind of thing. And, you know, the, he found that the more people you added to this rope pull, um, the less people pulled because they feel like, well, I've got like 30 people on this rope. Like, do I really need to pull as hard? Where when you put one person on the rope and say, pull as hard as you freaking can, they're going to give it everything they can. Three people on the rope, they're going to be like, well, okay, pull. Five, 20 people on this rope, they're like, I can kind of just fit in and nobody can measure the difference between my pull and everybody's pull. So, and anyway, they did a, a really cool study on this. And so not there's like, it's not always the case on a sales team though, but it is a, a, something that is apparent when people feel like they get lost in the crowd and they feel like my contribution isn't as important as that guy's contribution. And then the, the people that are successful are the ones that know how to pull at 100% capacity, even being part of a team. And so the three numbers to really consider is, and, and this is kind of how I break it up, is you have what's called a pod or a squad, which is a five to six ratio. Like you think of SEAL Team 6, you think of kind of like this 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 pod, which basically Jeff Boza, Bezos is kind of famous for saying, you know, it's, it's the two pizza rule. The rule states that any team should be well-fed with only two pizzas, and intended to imply that small teams are more effective than large ones. And I like that, you know, if you think about it, five people in a room or five people in a group need only 20 relationships, meaning A needs to have a relationship with B, A needs to have a relationship with C, A needs to have a relationship with D, you know, and um, B needs to have a relationship with A, B needs to have a relationship with C. And so that way it's, it's a total of 20 relationships. We have a team of 13, 
you now have to have 78 relationships. And so what happens is the relationships could be strong with a team of five people. Um, and there's real strong accountability. The next team size is, and so, so, so I'm going to kind of go from the bottom up and then I'm going to kind of explain it from the top down. So next team size would be around 12 and 12, like in my opinion is reaching the limit of, I can have a relationship with these 12 people. I could probably manage these 12 people effectively by myself and still get a good result from like me plus 12. And there's not going to be as strong of like real close relationship, but what there will be is still like a camaraderie. Like the, the, it's, it's moving in towards like with five or six people, you can get really lackadaisical in sales. It's kind of like, John, how'd your day go? Okay, Tom, how'd your day go? Cool. Everybody like, just make sure you don't like be idiots today and we get out there and work. Where 12, you're moving into the direction of you can't really hide on the radar, but you're you're still like can create a relationship, which moves us to 20 to 25 is considered the perfect classroom size, according to Angela Duckworth in the book Grit. And you have a strong leader, but you also might have broken up into pods. So you might have team leads, co-managers, assistant managers helping kind of orchestrate the whole environment. And but when you put 20 to 25 people in a room, the energy you can create, like think of like a team huddle on a on a on a sports sports team, you think of like a cheer, you think of the just the intensity that that a culture can create. But the main point of why 20 to 25 is it's not too big to where you know people can't ask questions in a classroom setting, but it's big enough to where the emotion and relationship to the manager isn't driving the team. It's the culture that's driving the team or the individual. So the culture is going to, is going to pull the the individual because there's an environment versus like, I don't like my boss. Like, I don't like, it's like, you can't, you can't fight like a whole bigger posse. Like it, you can't like get pissed off at one person and then like just neglect there's 20 some other people there. Like it's, it's legitimately like a, it's a, it's a movement at that point, in my opinion. And then you could have multiple teams, obviously, in regions and whatnot. So you look at like the sales team and organizational structures, you know, strategy is there's a lot of strategy in how you structure the role, how you structure the function, how you structure the responsibility, the accountability, the metrics, the, the scorecard in, in each definitive role. And you know, I, I think of there's kind of three sales structures and team structures. And, you know, if I were to be running a business and I was trying to run a roofing or a solar company or whatever company, something we consult on is we say pick the island, the assembly line, or pick the uh, the pod. And really it comes down to your product size, your sales process. There's pros and cons. So you have the island, which is a CEO or sales manager that basically is taking on one rep or taking on a team of reps that do the that do the process start to finish. They're the prospector and they're the closer. They're the, you know, basically start to finish their whole sales cycle. And then like roofing, it's like they go all the way to collecting the final check. Second one is the assembly line. The sales process is broken up into different roles. You have a prospector, a closer, a production manager, 
you know, maybe a marketer, um, all depending on the average sales cycle, right? So, you know, I look at roofing and this is the sales process. So anybody that's seen me doing roofing, we've consulted. It's probably one of our biggest industries we actually consult in. Um, you, you knock the door or get the lead. You then inspect the roof. Third thing you do is file the claim and in insurance. Um, and you get the letter of intent signed or contingency or whatever you use. And four, you meet with the adjuster at the home. You know, it's usually a couple days later. You show them all the damage you found, take pictures and kind of fight them. Then you estimate the job and, and, and see if it got bought. And, and you work with the insurance company on like really how much they're getting paid. And sometimes it's kind of a back and forth, right? Then you supplement with the insurance initial bid. So you fight them and say, hey, I think I need more. Then you meet with the homeowner again. You get a final signature and you pick out the colors. Then you got to go order the materials and schedule a job. Then you got to go build the job, meaning the sales dude goes to the build, supervises the job, and then they collect the final payment. So a lot of sales guys that hit me up and they're like, I want to get into roofing. I'm like, well, you realize you got to do all those 10 things where you're used to just being like, knock, sign, see you later. And so I find it interesting. That's one of the big inefficiencies I see in people's companies is they don't ever create a selling assembly line. Meaning the only thing in that whole 10 steps is one, three, and seven. Meaning one, knock the door. Two, three, like sign the deal and like the, the letter of intent or the contingency. And seven is getting the final signature. And if you were to create a, an assembly line where you had three or four positions, two positions, where you had dude doing inspections on roof while you're out there selling. Dudes meeting adjusters and managing the job, going to the supervising the crews and then you had a sales guy like that that the example of an assembly line would be that and then the third would be the pods you break the team into smaller groups they all have definitive roles you know and and and, and you you're all going after one deal together but you've got to have like some like a team effort so setter closer is a pod it's a two-man pod it's like you set them i'll close them Another example is real estate. You know, you have a buddy of mine, Jimmy Rex, is number one realtor in Utah. And he, you know, a realtor gets 3% regardless. Like it's just that standard. And, you know, he he found he could build a team of six or so people. And one's listing agents going to homes, showing homes. One's buyer agents looking at homes, showing homes. And then you have kind of the paperwork admin person. And it's like he's chopping this 3% up. And he's like, well... I'd rather have a littler percent, but sell 10 times more homes than everybody else than just try to keep all my 3%. So he's, he breaks it into pods and that's why he's, one of the, I mean, he's the best in Utah. And so anyway, I think that understanding the structures, understanding the dynamics of team, understanding how to put your team together, leverage their strengths, understand the, the dynamic of each individual on your team is going to be extremely important. And I think a lot of people get afraid to go start a team. They get afraid to go manage a team. They get afraid to that they might not be a good leader. They might not be a, they've never managed. And so you got to realize like my first two years managing, I lost all my people. Like I wasn't a good manager. I was a good sales rep, but I spent years and years studying John Maxwell. Like he is my number one person that I've probably read and studied and modeled leadership after. And so it's super excited to have him at door to door on this year and like meet him and do podcasts with him and hang out. Um, but I think unless you spend time and energy developing yourself as a leader, you're not going to just like wake up and have the title of manager and be good at it. 
there's people I've consulted and coached that have been leading teams for 10 plus years. And I'm like, dude, you suck. Like, like what you just said to that rep, I would have never said how you just handled that situation. I would have never done it that way. That was almost embarrassing. Is that how you handle everything? Is that how you have been managing forever? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, huh. Nobody's ever taught you. You've never spent any time and energy coached being coached on actually being a good coach. I mean, I pay coaches to, co- to coach me how to coach. <laughs> so, you know, like for me, I mean, one, go spend some time and energy on how to get better at this. And two, if you don't le- use leverage and, and, and really extract the value out of you and your team, you're never going to create wealth. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, I get excited about kind of orchestrating the content for this book that I'm working on. I appreciate your guys' feedback and insights. And if you have stories, maybe I'll put it in the book. If you have principles that you're like, oh, I'd add this, Sam, you're missing this. Send them my way. I'd love it. I mean, let's let's write this together. You guys are awesome. See you guys on the next episode. Oh,